This is the way it's been since she started smoking pot. She's all lazy and boring. Me f too. Not straightforward. There are a ton of myths and legends surrounding the benefits or harms of smoking cannabis. Cannabis is currently legal for medical use in 33 U.S. states plus Washington, D.C. But at the exact same time, there are plenty of people who believe smoking weed will fuck you up. So it can get a little confusing. I wanted to help us get to the bottom of it and find out if there is any legit research that backs cannabis medical benefits or backs the view that cannabis is a harmful drug. Let's take a look. First of all, it's essential to talk about the way that cannabis is researched in the United States. Cannabis is a Schedule 1 drug according to the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, meaning it's classified as a drug having, quote, no accepted medical use and a high potential for abuse. Other Schedule 1 drugs include heroin, acid, ecstasy, peyote, spice, quaaludes, and bath salts. Because cannabis falls under this classification, it's extremely difficult to research. Today, studies require approval from three different federal agencies before moving forward on a clinical trial. The DEA, the Food and Drug Administration, and the National Institute on Drug Abuse. Listen to Dr. Suzanne A. Sisley speak at the South Carolina State House about her experience in seeking federal approval to study cannabis. It's all the other agencies that come after the FDA that systematically impede this process. All of the law enforcement agencies that were required to um, get approval from us, particularly the DEA, the National Institute on Drug Abuse, all these lay relentless layers of government red tape that have no timetable. So the FDA at least is on a 30-day timetable. All these other agencies can take years to approve you, and that's why we were... Then, if researchers are able to jump through those hoops, there's only one place they can acquire cannabis to be used in research. The University of Mississippi. Of all f***ing places, the University of Mississippi. The university has been the only federally legal cannabis grower and distributor since 1968. And it only produces flour, not the high-concentrate products. Many researchers that do get this cannabis say it's not comparable to the cannabis that people actually use. Scientists have reported mold, lead, and low-potency issues with the cannabis received from this federal supplier. Because of all of this, there's a limited supply of cannabis research clinical trials available. That means a lot of the research surrounding cannabis that is available is what is called a quote-unquote observational study. An observational study simply observes a specific segment of a population and attempts to draw conclusions based on shared evidence or behaviors. In cannabis research, observational studies usually rely on cannabis users' self-reporting information pertinent to the research question at hand. There are a number of observational cannabis-related health studies available that may give us more info on what cannabis does and does not do, but it's also important that we look at who is funding these articles. If the entity funding a particular study stands to gain influence, notoriety, or financial success from the reported results of the study, it's totally fair to question their motives and to call out their bias. That's why throughout this episode, I'll be intentional about sharing the funding sources of each study that I reference. One important observational study that looks at the health effects of cannabis it was conducted in 2018 by researchers at the University of New Mexico. Researchers tasked a number of cannabis users with self-reporting on a list of health conditions and side effects through an app on their phone, immediately before using cannabis and following cannabis usage. Over the course of around a year and a half, participants logged nearly 15,000 quote-unquote sessions 
aka rolling up a block or taking a fat dab, making up the research that they could then comb through to draw conclusions about the health benefits of using cannabis. Participants in this study self-reported using cannabis to treat a number of conditions, but the most common were pain, anxiety, and depressive disorders. Significant symptom reductions were reported after cannabis use across all symptom categories, with an average reduction between 2.8 and 4.6 points on a 0 to 10 scale. This study was funded by the University of New Mexico Medical Cannabis Research Fund. Listen to Dr. Stacy Gruper, a researcher from Harvard University who studies medical cannabis use in adults, report on some of her findings. We're seeing improvements in cognitive performance, specifically on tasks requiring executive function. We're also seeing improvements in clinical state. So significantly lower levels of depressive symptoms after only three months. And really important, we've seen some very striking decreases in the use of conventional medications. This research was funded by the Department of Veterans Affairs, Veterans Health Administration, Office of Research and Development, and two Clinical Sciences Research and Development Service grants. A 2019 study took a look at the efficacy and safety of cannabis treatment for mental disorders. This study revealed that THC or CBD helped alleviate specific symptoms of a number of mental disorders including dementia, opioid dependence, schizophrenia, general social anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, and Tourette's disorder. This study was funded by the German Ministry of Health. Most recently, researchers from the University of Nebraska have suggested cannabis be researched as a way to treat symptoms of COVID-19 because of its anti-inflammatory properties. And so they started to look at cannabis, specifically CBD, which is known from previous research to be an IL-6 cytokine inhibitor. Um, but there's actually other reasons that they've looked at CBD as well. Um, for antiviral properties and also for how it can impact the ACE2 uh, expression, all of which are you know, related to the fight against COVID. As with any pharmacological chemical, there's a wide range of effects, some of which may be negative. One such side effect of cannabis use is the potential for a use disorder, known colloquially as a quote-unquote addiction. Now, it's important that you don't think of the word addiction the way all of those D.A.R.E. commercials would have you think about it. The Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, most commonly known as the DSM-5, is a hallmark document for psychologists to use to diagnose various conditions. The DSM-5 criteria for a cannabis use disorder specifies 11 signs and symptoms that relate to one's consumption, social impairment, risky use, and physical dependence, including tolerance or ability to stop the use of cannabis. If someone meets two to three of these 11 criteria, they're classified as having a quote, mild cannabis use disorder. Four to six, a moderate disorder, and seven or more of the criteria qualifies as a quote, severe cannabis use disorder. However, cannabis use disorder may not be very prevalent or impacting. A 2015 grant-funded study revealed that only about 30% of those who have used cannabis in the past 12 months appear as experiencing even mild cannabis use disorder. Even further, a more recent study that was actually funded by the National Institute on Drug Abuse shows that perhaps as few as 11.6 of past-year cannabis users exemplify symptoms of cannabis use disorder. Finally, the most recent study from the National Epidemiologic Survey on Alcohol and Related conditions shows that the majority of those who experience cannabis use disorder experience symptoms classified as mild. Dr. Jacob Miguel Vigil, a cannabis research scientist from the University of New Mexico, puts it this way. So what I do want you to know is that there are definitely negative side effects from cannabis usage. They're relatively benign, they're relatively non-serious, and 
users are more likely to experience a positive side effect. And again, the most frequently reported is feelings of peacefulness. So, you know, relative to other conventional medications, you could turn your bottle around and look at all the side effects. You could listen to the commercials, list all the side effects endlessly. It's no surprise that the cannabis plant has so many varying effects across different potencies, strains, and consumption methods. When you use cannabis, you are introducing as many as 90 different chemicals. Many of these chemicals have been barely studied or not studied at all. These chemicals are called cannabinoids. Listen to J. Brad Ingram, a pediatric neurologist at the University of Mississippi, break it down. In the marijuana plant, there are at least 90 compounds that are organically active, not all of them on the nervous system. There are probably more than that. We really don't know how many there are, to be honest. The two that are most clinically relevant, meaning the ones we talk about the most, are THC, which of course most people have heard of, but that's, that's, the, that's the cannabinoid that has the side effects of marijuana that you typically think of with recreational use, and CBD or cannabidiol, which is a sister compound to THC that we think has some degree of anti-inflammatory effects uh, as well as working in the nervous system. Tetrahydrocannabidiol, aka THC, is the only plant cannabinoid that we know for sure has clear intoxicating effects on its own. There is some evidence to suggest, however, that THCV, another cannabinoid, may also have some intoxicating effects, although whether it does may depend on the dose. You've probably heard of cannabidiol, also known as CBD. According to Harvard Health, CBD is useful for treating anxiety, insomnia, some forms of pain, and perhaps most notably, several forms of childhood epilepsy that don't typically respond to seizure medication. The FDA even recently approved the first ever cannabis-derived medicine for these conditions, Epidiolex, which contains CBD. There is some evidence that cannabinol, shortened to CBN, may treat seizures, inflammation, and may even have antibiotic properties. However, CBN is extremely understudied. As for the roughly 87 plus additional cannabinoids found in the cannabis plant, we don't know much yet. Because of the roadblocks mentioned at the outset of this episode and the relative stigma surrounding cannabis, we just don't know much. Hopefully in the coming years, roadblocks will be removed so that researchers can more easily access quality cannabis and cannabis products in order to more fully understand the real health effects of cannabis and to more accurately inform the public. This information including but not limited to text graphics, images, and other material contained here are for informational purposes only. No material in this video slash podcast is intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen. And never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something contained in this content.